Welcome, everyone, to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 140. We didn't know we'd be recording this week, but we said if anything happened, we'd record it. Something kind of has happened. But in the meantime, I'm Steve Litchfield, recording this on Tuesday, the 26th of May, 2015. I have with me Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello, everybody. We thought we'd squeeze in a bonus one. We've been able to make time in the schedules. And there's actually a couple of interesting things to talk about. I think it's going to be one of these podcasts where we're talking more about some generic smartphone platform stuff uh, with a kind of Windows Phone flavour to, to it as always, but we might find uh, room to squeeze in a couple of more Windows Phone specific things. But looking down the show notes that Steve's put together, actually all three of the main stories uh, really have applicability sort of more broadly in some ways. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, let's start with Phone Companion. Um, now, this is something Microsoft announced today. It's going to be built into Windows 10, presumably as a kind of hub that people will access, and then that will give them tips, insight, links through to appropriate uh, applications, shortcuts, settings, and resources for connecting their smartphone to Windows uh, 10. And what makes this interesting is that it's, again, showing that Microsoft has a kind of cross-platform strategy at work. The idea is that you boot up this phone companion, and yes, it shows your Windows 10 mobile device, for which, uh, obviously, there's not that much to configure because most of it's already there because the phone itself is running Windows 10 with the same services and applications. But the interesting thing, and perhaps moving away to this uh, cross-platform idea, is that they'll, ha they'll have um, all these things also for iOS and Android phones at launch. So when you uh, download Windows 10 as a free upgrade to your laptop or desktop or even tablet, um, there will be these links through and this, this support for smartphones running something other than uh, Microsoft's own Windows Phone or Windows 10 Mobile. So it's it's kind of an interesting idea, although it's not that much new really for current Windows Phone fans, Rafe. No, it's not. And in some ways, it's actually not that much new for iOS and Android fans. But I does do think this speaks volumes about Microsoft's sort of strategy for the future and just its, its mindset as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it, what we're talking about here is things like OneDrive, OneNote, the Office applications. What is kind of new, and it, it's been talked about in passing for a while or hinted at at least, is Cortana uh, becoming available on iOS and Android. That's Microsoft's personal assistant, which in all fairness is still in one sense rolling out on Windows Phone because it has relatively limited market availability at the moment, particularly if you compare it to some of the offerings that other offerings out there. But I think this is enormously significant in that it's actually going to be about onboarding users to this idea of Microsoft having services running across multiple devices and it's multiple devices with the same kind of user data and files and settings and personalization. So, you know, sometimes we've talked about Windows Phone being kind of the platform that's a long, long way behind and sort of said, but Windows on the desktop makes up for it a bit. You know, Windows is actually even more dominant than Android is in the smartphone space. Now, I think the thing you have to say about that is there are actually more smartphones out there, so it's not quite a, a fair comparison. But there are going to be a lot of people out there with Android and iOS devices that do have a Windows PC, and, you know, they are going to be starting to use kind of cross-device services because all the companies uh, are working on that. And actually, that's mostly been through the result of web apps, you know, the likes of Gmail, um, and a lot of some of Apple services as well, in some ways, sort of th this idea that you get the same experience or the same data uh, generally synced through the cloud on all your devices is definitely something whose time has come. And Microsoft is very much playing into this 
with this idea of this phone system and having it built into Windows 10 obviously makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, the bit that kind of interests me as being new is, as I say, Cortana. Microsoft do uh, point out that it's not going to be the same experience on Android and iOS. You're not going to be able to change your device settings, for example. That's not going to have the kind of easy activation that the Hey Cortana and indeed uh, Siri and uh, Google now have something equivalent on some devices on those respective platforms. Uh, but I think it's interesting. It's the first of these assistants to go truly cross-platform. And as I've said before, that's really just a reflection of Microsoft's relative weakness in the smartphone space. You know, Apple um, certainly doesn't do it. It's not part of its kind of ethos or strategy. Google has done it to an extent, if you look at the way Google Maps is available on multiple platforms, but uh, and to an extent Google Now as well, I guess, and certainly the Google search tools. But they haven't committed to it quite as fully as it looks like Microsoft is going to be doing here. And I actually think it's a, a very smart move. Uh, there are going to be people out there who won't want to use Microsoft at all, but there are going to be plenty of others who are already using it on the desktop, and that might be Office, it might be OneDrive, it might be something else, and kind of, I guess you could include Skype and things like that in here. I mean, Microsoft are going to have to package this very carefully, and so that it feels like genuine quality, and there's good consistency in this cross-device stuff. But um, very interesting, kind of leveraging the strength of Windows 10 on the desktop to kind of take that onto mobile. And if anyone's used things like OneNote or OneDrive, or indeed kind of the new versions of Office on Android and iOS, then they that they're they're good quality software products. And you know, I now have switched to using OneDrive quite a while back uh, to using something like Dropbox. And I think there are other people out there who who might look at that kind of decision go that same way as well. And Cortana on top of it. You know, there isn't this tradition of personal assistance on the desktop. And it certainly does make sense to me to have the same one between, you know, both sets of devices. Is it going to be as convenient as, you know, the double press on iOS to get, you know, Siri up or the Google Now stuff you know, on Android? Perhaps not, but very interesting to see this happen. And as I said, speaks volumes about Microsoft's changing attitude. You know, they're about selling the, the software and services um, in a cloud-first, mobile-first way, but that doesn't mean on their own platform. I think it's almost a case of saying they don't care which platform is ru- runs it on as long as you're using their stuff, but they've actually recognised that there's very little value in the, the mobile operating system, the platform itself in, in some ways. Now, I think that's a slightly <laughs> optimistic way of looking at it, but actually, if you've seen what's happened in smartphones, you know, first of all, the value is in hardware and the differentiation there. That's very much gone away in the last few years. And I'm not saying it's vanished altogether, it's still there. And then it was all about the actual, the platform, and particularly back in the Symbian days, think of, you know, the way that the platform and all the apps are included with that were valuable in the frameworks and everything else. I think, lastly, as things have become more commoditized or similar across the platforms, more value was put into the third-party apps. And, you know, I think it's still there. Don't get me wrong, it's not disappearing. But I would expect that to be diluted over time as apps become more universal. There's perhaps a little bit less hype around them. And certainly some of the services become more important. And actually, the reason they become important, not so much because of the services themselves, although a certain amount of quality is important and there is value in that, but it's the data and kind of the personalization that they hold that becomes most important because after all that tends to be what happens most you know that matters most is most valuable to an individual you know the fact i'm editing office docs in microsoft is kind of irrelevant if i could do it convenient elsewhere and there's been a long debate over that probably would no one's really got there yet the same goes for something like onedrive it, it becomes to a certain amount seamless which one i use but 
my information's in there. And would I pay for that to be continuous to be available everywhere? Yes, sir, I probably would. In fact, I basically do with Office 365. So I wonder if Microsoft has sort of been quite smart about that, recognize we're going to have this balkanized mobile, you know, space for the you know a long time to come with multiple platforms. And you're also going to have tablets, you're going to have computers and other computing platforms that may appear you can talk about set-top boxes or consoles and things like that or maybe even be a bit more far out and talk about things like hololens and other vr headsets if you can tie all that together with a, a kind of microsoft software and service layer that bit if you personalize it to the individual and have their data and make it all seamless it seems to me where the value comes much less in the the hardware and the apps themselves so really interesting move this yeah, or indeed the the mobile platform, which I guess is the the logical question. People are saying, well, this sounds the death knell of Windows Phone or Windows Ten Mobile, as it will be called. Uh, and I, I guess that's really the six million dollar question. What, we, we are all about Windows Phone, and we're right about Windows and various dis- uh, guises running on phones. Now, what will happen? What will Microsoft's mindset be come the autumn? My my feeling is that the Windows Ten Mobile will kind of ride on the coattails of Windows 10 succeeding and and Microsoft's um, you know, ecosystem and all the services you've been talking about, they will, they're, they're already succeeding. They're already doing pretty well. And I think with this cross-platform play, they can only rise and rise in popularity. Um, and on the coattails of that will come recognition about Windows 10 Mobile. And I think people will start to see it in shops. They'll start to see it on catalog pages and on websites. I think, well, that, that that matches the services I want to use. It matches the operating system I've just upgraded to for free on my laptop. So I do see a, still see a future for Windows 10 Mobile, even though you've just said that the actual operating system doesn't actually matter that much. I still do see a future. Yes, and uh, I should probably point out that when I'm talking about the value here, it's kind of to the consumer to a large extent, and Microsoft serving them wherever they happen to be. But uh, pretending that that's you know, in a singular place is obviously a mistake. Actually, it spreads a crowd across. And I'm not saying all the value. I'm just saying the majority of it seems to be moving that way. And I'd you know, say the same for Android and Apple, but kind of the money they can make out of the platform is much less. And actually, the money elsewhere and it's you know, the same token we've seen the kind of the move to subscription services for a lot of software and indeed other products you know music um, with spotify or Netflix, uh, tv content and movies um it doesn't mean I, I should you know be very strong on this point that there is no value in the platform and actually kind of microsoft hints at this and when they talk about cortana having the best experience on windows phone and still that's going to be the best microsoft way of doing things and i think particularly for something like windows phone and Windows Mobile 10, I guess we should, or Windows 10 Mobile, I'll get the name right eventually. <laughs> um, the the cost for Microsoft to develop that in addition to their kind of desktop, they're actually sharing a lot more resources between the two. And I'm not saying it's, it's negligible, it's not, it's, you know, it's still a very significant investment. But given that they can create the full experience there exactly as they see it, I think you're right, there's still value in that. And it may well benefit from Windows 10 kind of as an uplift more generally, kind of the rising tide theory, I guess you could say, or the coattails theory, whichever you prefer. Uh, it, it, I'm just seeking a way to try and explain what Microsoft's attitude is. Of course, they would rather have you on their own platform, but if they can't have you on their own platform, they still want you using the software and services. In some ways, I think it's quite a consumer-friendly attitude. You know, Don't make a mistake. It's not that Microsoft is somehow good at, you know, is better than Apple or um, Google. It's, you know, it's not 
less evil. Actually, it's because of the position it's in, it's having to take this strategy. But for the time being, actually, for especially from someone who uses multiple platforms, multiple devices, it's actually quite a good strategy in terms of it works for me and you know, the particular way I want to use devices and services. Uh, other people won't care that it's cross-platform because they won't be using multiple devices or they won't, or rather, they won't be using multiple ecosystems. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of tying myself in knots here, trying to talk about value and platforms and ecosystems. But what I think is important here is it's Microsoft is kind of trying to see where it can make money in the future, in the longer term. As I said, that's moving away from just pure platforms. It's much more around the services and particularly, as I say, where the user's data or where the value is for the user. That doesn't mean they you know, aren't going to have to build it on top of stuff and the platforms and the operating systems and the apps are all enablers for that and so you'll be able to potentially extract the most value on your own platform so i guess one way to think about this in very simple terms would be to say that the the value or the revenue potential for microsoft when it's got some running on its own platform so that'll be you know windows 10 on the desktop and maybe on a tablet on the phone is 50 currency units when they switch out one of those for an ios or android device that might drop off by 10 units just because it can't do it quite as efficiently it's not quite as smooth and there's some extra resource you have to employ or whatever it might be and then indeed that might drop down if it's web only or if it's running on something like osx you know on the mac computers uh, those sums and that thinking will be done in a very complex way so i, I wouldn't expect as, as steve quite rightly says um, Windows 10 mobile to go anywhere. I think Microsoft will continue doing that. There is always the danger that they will look at it and say, actually, it's it's not worth our while. But I, I really don't think they will because I think partly the message that that would send out would be bad for the company. And they know how important mobile is. And actually, their entire strategy now is based around putting Windows on lots of different types of devices. So this idea of Windows as kind of a monolith that runs just on PCs is very much going away. You know, that's reflected in the multiple versions of Windows 10 we talked about in the last podcast. And it's not just, you know, there is the whole it running on IoT or on the, the BlackBerry Pi and various other uh, kind of devices, Raspberry Pi, I should say, and then on tablets <laughs> and then on phones and on desktops and, you know, also Xbox and all of that. And I think HoloLens, that, that idea of Windows everywhere, which always used to be about being on every desktop, is, is very much more now about Windows everywhere. And if we can't manage that, we'll have Microsoft services basically overlaid your data everywhere and I think that's a subtle shift and it comes back to what uh, Satya Nadella, Microsoft CEO, has talked about as kind of the cloud first, mobile first strategy. They absolutely recognise that mobile will be the first device in most people's digital lives and a lot of the thinking in terms of where they'll put the investments I think are going to be dictated by that. Yeah, absolutely. I was reviewing the uh, Galaxy S6 Edge this week, Rafe, and one of the folders on the home screens, you know, out of the box, is the Microsoft services, things like OneDrive and Skype and so on. So uh, it's definitely a, a serious play. Uh, and you, you mentioned quite rightly that uh, our life revolves around services which we expect to be everywhere. And uh, we're almost there now. I mean, I can we can go between different um, smartphones, tablets, desktops, laptops, 
it, almost my TV. <laughs> and to a large extent, when all those devices I can do the same functions on, obviously with various different degrees of usability in terms of input and so forth. But uh, yes, certainly I can switch now by just taking my SIM card out of device A and putting it device B. And I don't even have to think about the old... In the old days, uh, five, six years ago, Rafe, it was a, an hour or two of syncing data backwards and forwards over a cable and turning this off, turning that on, installing this, deregistering this, registering it somewhere else. And it was a right pain. And I still can be on some iPhones, but let's not go there. But in general, um, certainly with Windows Phone and Android, um, I can, my smartphones, they basically all use the same services, the same accounts, the same PIM data. Same sync services. I literally take my nano sim out of one device, put it into another on a different platform, and I walk out the door, and I've I've lost nothing, and I've I, I think that's an incredible st- state to have achieved. It, it is. I mean, it's not like the good old days where you actually had to <laughs> have brains to work out how everything works. And don't get me wrong, I still actually think there's a long way to go in terms of usability and making this available to everybody. But the fact that you know you and I are starting to use this in our daily lives, or actually been using it for quite a while now, and Every time there's a bit of development, we're just seeing a slightly richer layer of this kind of generic service and data layer. And it, it is things like, you know, you're been editing an office doc and then you can go back and continue it on your phone because it's in the most recent doc or you're playing back a bit of music or a TV episode or whatever. And it's very easy to just carry on from what you were before. And that kind of utopia of just, you know, instant on devices and then continuing what you were doing and throwing stuff between them uh, has been kind of, around for a long long time but it does feel like we're sort of getting there in terms of the the basics i wonder how long it's going to take for that to get truly polished and you know part of what comes with that is you do end up trapping yourself uh, into one of these systems and i'm not sure whether that's an entirely desirable thing because you know a lot of the advances to this point have been through the open web and to a kind of a lesser extent through apps which have a certain degree of openness or at least have been kind of disposable now so much is going to be locked up in these each of these digital ecosystems and you know you can identify each one as you like and the the reality is i think most people cross over between them but it it does tend to be kind of apple google microsoft and you might throw amazon in there you might start talking about facebook and and some others out there particularly out in in asia and china which you know is its own story but you know to me that's that's still a concern and in one sense microsoft by being the, the challenger certainly in mobile it's quite healthy as a consumer because you know they're going to continue to support most of the platforms and i think that's also part of their genuine business strategy that's how they are going to attack the market going forward for apple it's always going to be more about the defensive wall garden and I'm, I'm sure they'll open up in areas where it makes sense for them to do so from a business that's but certainly not that's not going to be overall and the big question mark is around google which has always been perceived as a big supporter of open standards and data portability, but it's generally been where it's in its interest to do so. Uh, and I say, I don't want to uh, ascribe altruistic motives to any of them. It's just because Microsoft's in a certain position that actually it will probably behave in what consumers will see as the most altruistic way. I mean, for those who've been around longer, the kind of the irony of that, given Microsoft's uh, run-ins with the regulator and the competition authorities, it kind of makes me smile. Uh, but certainly you're seeing these kind of things in terms of Office becoming available on all the platforms. This idea of a phone assistant built into Windows 10 that will be effectively platform agnostic. Now, it's nothing like Microsoft. It used to be an 
actually makes sense from a consumer point of view. I mean, just think about this if you're trying to get a, a Windows phone or Android device to work with Mac OS X. It's absolutely possible. Don't get me wrong. It will work fine. Um, but I think there is a contrast to you know, plugging your iPhone or your Android or your Windows phone device into Windows and just seeing, oh, I've got these three options. It's going to help me get everything sort of ticking between my devices nicely. Whereas the first time you plug into Mac OS X, you know, if you don't have an iPhone, you're going to have to go through the kind of the manufacturer or the platform providers, extra apps. It's just not yeah. going to be as easy. And you know, that sort of thing does begin to tell, I think. Um, as I said, I don't think we get too optimistic about this. And I don't think you go rah, rah, Windows Phone or rah, rah, Microsoft about, about this. Because <laughs> actually, I think it's just a part of a, a more general trend. You know, how do you deal with these multiple devices? mobile phones and computers are difficult enough for some people to master and you know we are seeing a big contrast between if you like the millennials or the digital natives and maybe the sort of the more mature market or the wise part of the market you might say depending on your point of view gray market if you're being impolite <laughs> and these are all issues that are, are going to come up uh, and actually you know we're getting a long way away from the subject of phone companion but this is something we've been talking around a lot on the podcast recently because it's one of the big promises of windows 10 and i think we have to be somewhat cautious in saying you know, this is a big change i think this has just been a story that's coming for a long time it just is the headline around windows 10 actually in reality i expect that there'll be a lot of people disappointed with microsoft not delivering quite what they expect but i think sometimes you need, need to look at this with the benefit of of hindsight and say the the contrast of this kind of vision that we're starting to you know, see and starting to see actually in reality yeah. is amazing to five years ago and as steve was talking about that ability to just pick up a device and start using it that's a pretty profound change i would say that's as profound a change as smartphones coming in in the first place because I, I think the way we use devices now today steve is unrecognizable from the first smartphones and the way we use them yeah, absolutely. If I sound over-enthusiastic, this is not me, as you say, going rah-rah anyone. This is the fact that I can I can genuinely see the future. I think we can all kind of glimpse the future and that it's it's almost here. It's within our grasp. We're, we absolutely. are able to use day-to-day -day stuff that is incredibly cool technology, incredibly cool joined-up dots that we're seeing for the very first time. And I'd absolutely agree that for the mass market, for Uncle Tom Cobbley and all, they're going to have to have far more of the dots joined up and they're going to have it absolutely rock-solid and foolproof. We're not there yet every service isn't available for every platform for every device for every form factor but we're getting there and it's the fact that we're getting there that's got me excited so uh, absolutely it, and and what's why we're so excited i think is probably worth pointing out it's really about the computing becoming essentially ubiquitous it doesn't matter what device or what object you pick up and not only that we've seen a, you know, a big reduction in the cost of devices in general and so you know this also ties in with the idea of the smart home and internet of things this idea that a lot more of your devices will be capable of talking to each other and there's going to have to be control points and there's still a lot of uncertainty around it but uh you know it genuinely will make life very different and i think there's a big difference between computing that we've talked about in the past and smartphones fall into this where you are very much having to fit into the limitations or the constraints of the devices as they've been designed and kind of been conceived whereas i think the uh, this idea of if i call it ubiquitous computing that will be a kind of a shorthand actually it then starts fitting into your life and you just pick up whatever is most convenient and i think actually that may be the thing that um takes a lot of the stuff that we take for granted as kind of being the things we do with phones and with our digital devices and makes it just part and parcel of everyday life for for everybody um i think there is going to be this big digital divide i think 
um, you know, you, I don't, you know, you draw it at 40 years old, it doesn't really matter. And Steve obviously has to de-age by 10 years to fit into the, the right category. But like everything, there's exceptions to everything. But it, as I say, uh, without sort of getting too carried away, I really think it will be a pretty fundamental shift in the way that we interact with computers and digital life and it just becoming a lot more seamless. And that excites me because it, it, it will make for a better quality of life, essentially. Um, and we have to caveat with all the usual things. It's only in certain markets, doesn't apply to everybody. But it's just that that glimpse of the future, which, as Steve says, actually gets pretty exciting to think about, especially when you think about it on the scale that this is going to happen. You know, this isn't the early smartphone era where there were 10 million devices being sold a year. This is, you know, 1.5 billion devices being sold a year, connecting with the computers that are being sold in their hundreds of millions and potentially all the other consumer electronics. Uh, as I say, long, long way to go. But is this a fundamental shift? I mean, this gets written about a lot. I don't think it is because you don't shift from one paradigm to the other. But certainly it does feel like you, you get towards an inflection point where it's much easier to see into the you know, over the next hill and to see the uh, greener pasture on the other side. And it does feel like we're kind of at that point now. Yeah, I still think you're going to get letters, Ray, for, for, for mentioning anybody over the age of 40 as being the wrong side of the digital divide. I think you're going to get letters. <laughs> I, I'm sure I am. And yeah. do forgive me for anyone who is, is over 40. We, we particularly appreciate the comments we get from our uh, more experienced, our, our wiser audience, because uh, they often know better than we do about the realities of, of life. Uh, but uh, you know, honestly, I do actually think there's an, an issue there with people <laughs> who refer, you know, it's digital natives used to be the, the term five years ago, kind of millennials has come in more recently. But I think anyone who's seen young people interacting with technology and just see them, it becomes al almost intuitive. And just as uh, I think anyone maybe over the age of 30 won't think anything about writing letters, writing essays or writing notes, and then you see people interacting with the digital technology and uh, frankly it's not quite a case of not knowing how to write but they they take to it like ducks to water they don't think about it, it just works for them which can be immensely frustrating i think when someone asks you ask someone to show you something and they go oh it's easy click 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 and five seconds later everything's gone and done and set up uh, and i sometimes feel i sit very much in the fence between those kind of two two paradigm or those two groups of people um, so yes uh, i i will accept all hate mail to my usual email address before Rafe carries on digging the hole he's descending into, uh, let's get back on topic. You mentioned Cortana there, obviously. Now, just a, as a slinky link into a feature I did, comparing Cortana against Siri, against Google, now against BlackBerry Assistant. And the key thing, Rafe, and the reason why I wanted to do this comparison is not because it's cool and interesting, which it is, uh, not because we hadn't been asked for it. We had been asked for the, to do the comparison, but that I had to make it absolutely fair. And the only way I could think of making it fair was to completely discard any knowledge I had whatsoever of using these platforms and just sit down with a blank piece of paper, or in my case, notepad, and, and write the questions out beforehand, the sort of questions I could imagine being asked by myself uh, of a real personal assistant, or perhaps uh, being asked by someone in a science fiction movie, the things that I want to see answered, the, the sort of questions which I would expect artificial intelligence in 2015 to be either be able to handle now or be able to handle in the very near future. Uh, so I applied the these 10 queries, these 10 commands to those four voice assistants, um, I was kind of expecting Cortana to win, being the more most modern of the various assistants. In actual fact, it does appear that Apple has been doing a lot of work at the back end with Siri, and uh, the, uh, the iPhone's Siri actually came up on top with uh, Cortana in second place, and Google now in third, and BlackBerry Assistant a rather distant fourth. Um, were you surprised by the ranking? 
I, I wasn't because actually it kind of reflects how long each of the platforms or rather each of the assistants has been around. And I think for these kind of basic set of questions, it's much easier to kind of cheat and have pre-programmed responses or rather to understand that they're things that people might ask on a, a regular basis. And it was notable on looking at your list of things, the ones that were, I think, very common queries or the ones you can imagine people asking a lot. Uh, actually, all the, the platforms did better on and uh, particularly the ones which were maybe simpler answers. Uh, and also, I think uh, Siri because it's got so many users and has been around a bit longer, would I expect to have a, a natural advantage? I was actually pleasantly surprised in some ways that Cortana did as well as it is, given that it's still in beta. And I think it's probably fair to say about all of these assistants that actually if you know the tricks of how it works, you will be able to get much more out of it. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's a typical problem, actually. You know, how do you train people to use these things? And going back to graffiti input on the Palm Pilot devices, unless you become expert, you won't get the most out of them. So I think it's actually a really good test to do because this is exactly how most people will approach it the first time. Um, actually, if you look at the all the things that you can ask the assistance, actually, I think Cortana has one of the best tricks is asking, what can I say? And it will kind of give you a, a guide as to what you can talk about. And actually, there's something similar on Siri and Google now as well. Um, what, what was surprising was actually how much variation there was. There were some things where um, Cortana did very well and then Siri or Google now would drop out. I mean, BlackBerry uh, Assistant was kind of consistently disappointing, which I guess is a bit like BlackBerry in recent years, really. Uh, I feel a bit cruel saying that, but it's 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 probably not uh, uh, entirely unfair. And um, what was really stunning, actually, was the accuracy of the recognition. Uh, were you doing this in a kind of a quiet environment? Were you, or did you you push it a bit and stress test it? <laughs> I think I was stressing stress testing the systems enough by asking them complicated questions. In some cases, I think I didn't want to push it by doing it in a car or or a train station or something, which where real people would use it. I think that would also introduce far too many variations in terms Indeed, of random yeah. noises. So yes, all all of these queries were in a completely quiet room. So it was best case scenario. But I was still amazed that every single all four assistants got every single query right. Um, there, there are a couple of mistakes where maybe I stumbled in my words or didn't phrase it you know, quite as uh, clearly as I should have done. So in that case, I, I saw the recognition had gone wrong and I, I tried the question again and it got it on the second attempt. There were a couple of those, but I discarded those as just outlying data points. But on the whole, all four assistants had no trouble whatsoever understanding my perfect Queen's English and good diction. <laughs> And, and so the question itself actually made it through to their back-end servers intact. And it was purely down to the AI of the servers as to what they did in terms of parsing those queries and then, you know, providing some kind of answer back. And I was very impressed by the recognition end. Yeah, and it's interesting that some of your queries, like when you were saying, uh, what's my schedule for the rest of the week? I'm sure that's one that um, Apple, for example, has seen a lot of people asking Siri. So it's been tuned for that. Whereas Cortana and, and BlackBerry maybe have less of that kind of data. So didn't do quite so well. It's actually kind of shocking that um, Google now didn't get it. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind that all, each of these assistants is aimed at doing slightly different thing. I mean, Siri was very much about kind of voice interaction. Cortana is in some ways sort of a broader offering in that it's also serving as a search function for Windows Phone. And I think we'll see something similar in, in Windows 10 on the dot desktop and it starts to introduce the idea it's kind of more of a, a cross between siri and google now and actually google now is kind of mu much more about 
the intelligent cards in addition to the voice recognition. And so in one sense, just testing these on kind of simple query strings is perhaps underplaying it a bit because there are, you know, there's certainly more to it. It's also very noticeable that uh, both Microsoft and Google perform better on what I'll describe as knowledge graph queries, where it's kind of sets of uh, semantic data that they would have consumed from the web through their respective search engines, so Google and Bing. And so things like is that how much is a Bitcoin worth or, you know, actually who wrote Beowulf uh, is kind of a good example of that. And of course, also you could say the same about some of their navigation stuff. And then, you know, some of the mathematics stuff, like uh, I think you had what's the, the fourth root of H1.6, <laughs> which seems a slightly obscure question. But of course, they can all get that because that's a very easy query to understand. But I mean, I think the, the big thing about this is just how much these natural language recognition has come on. And so when you're asking it kind of a knowledge-based question, they tend to be pretty good. Where you're then interacting with the phone, that's where it tends to fall down and you have to phrase your query more carefully. And I, I noticed you had a, a calendar appointment one that just didn't work on Cortana. It's absolutely possible, of course, to set those up in Cortana if you ask them the, the right way. And you did make it pretty difficult by saying, I think, the second Thursday of next month. Um <laughs> Again, you know, that's actually something that I think you can train it to do because you can recognize, it can learn to recognize certain phrases. And I suspect, again, that's one that maybe uh, Apple has tuned for. Um, the reason that Cortana is sometimes held up as being more intelligent than its competition is because of the, the stuff that it's based on in terms of the learning algorithms and the underlying kind of, uh, I want to call it a knowledge engine. It's a lot more than that. It's actually worth reading up if you're interested in this kind of personal assistant and the voice recognition. Um, and its ability to sort of do more and start predicting things in the future and tying in various um, learning engines and say that the knowledge graph is arguably a lot more sophisticated than Siri. Google is also actually pretty sophisticated in that sense. I don't know really enough about BlackBerry Assistant. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So I, I was going to ask you how much you find yourself using these voice assistants just day to day. Is it something you do a lot of? It is, absolutely. And I find that Cortana in particular, um, maybe it's because it's now recognizes my voice and it's been trained a bit. I've used it quite, I, obviously I use Windows phones more than Android in my day-to-day -day life because I'm writing for about windowsphone.com. But uh, I'm certainly using Cortana an awful lot to set calendar appointments, to look things up on the web, to navigate to places, simply because usually it's faster than typing. If I've got something that doesn't involve some weird and wacky real name, it's usually much faster to speak it than to type it. I, I did find that uh, quite often with Cortana, it's best to break things up. So rather than give that whole long calendar string I quoted in the article, you obviously you just say, you know, new appointment or new calendar appointment. And then it says, okay, when's it for? You answer that. What would you like to call it? And it, so it leads you through it. And that kind of dialogue approach, which Cortana is very, very good at, I think that's that's much, ends up being more foolproof at the end of the day. But in an ideal world, you would like to just give the entire command in one go and then go off and do something else. Yeah, because the Star Trek computer never asked you to <laughs> confirm what you what you meant. But you're right, actually, the conversational stuff is in some ways the most impressive thing about Cortana. It can think in the context of what you asked it before. I'm sure we'll see the other, other voices it's kind of, and actually some, they do do it in, in, in some instances, but as you say, that's, that's more natural. And, you know, of course there is so much complexity in human speech, the way you can say things that it, it's not always very clear what you are saying. It, it's interesting because I've asked various people this question and it definitely seems to be, there are in certain places, I think there's, I would say, uh, a frown from society on doing things in public with your phone with voice recognition 
But the one place where a lot of people seem to use this is the car. And I know I've used it for replying to incoming text messages or to uh, set a quick reminder and things like that. And of course, you can do it completely hands-free and um, some are even set up to kind of uh, just press a single button and have this uh, go ahead and you know the same will apply to Siri. I wonder whether we'll see more of this in the future. If you talk to various uh, futurologists, for example, uh, Dave Copeland at Microsoft, very much believes that voice is going to become a really important control mechanism going forward. And you can see it in Microsoft's belief. It's, you know, it's done that thing uh, with controlling your Xbox with your voice. It's going to be on Windows 10 kind of on the desktop. And I, I actually think it's absolutely right. If you think about some of the things we may see in the future in terms of wearables, and I'm not just thinking smartwatches, but also kind of the heads-up displays, the likes of HoloLens, where there may not be a keyboard so readily available, or there will be this idea of more hands-free control. Actually, voice input, I think, is going to become more, not less important. And um, just as you know, pulling out your phone and doing things used to be a bit of a no-no in terms of etiquette, uh, talking to your phone, I think at the moment still has a few people w- will frown at you. I think we will see that go away as kind of a etiquette no-no, and people will become more accustomed to it. Um, I guess some people used to think the same about Bluetooth headsets and they still seem to be not entirely popular. So I don't know, but um, it's an interesting one to think about. And again, it, it amazes me how quickly this technology has has advanced. Uh, it frustrates me too, because a lot of the time when I try to use it, it doesn't quite work. And you had a couple of these where you just didn't get the queries or it just did a web, web search for you. But I fundamentally think that this is going to be a way kind of an alternative way to interact with your device to start kicking off apps or web or service or whatever it happens to be. And it's just, it feels to me a very natural way to do it. So I'm very keen to see this this technology develop and actually get more intelligent. And I suppose, you know, if you look at Google now, it's particularly strong on the predictive stuff, looking at your calendar or looking at your emails to work out when you might be taking a flight or when you might be heading home and kind of giving you information about that and that to me is where google now really stands out as being very strong microsoft is doing some of that with cortana but certainly not to the same extent and i think siri is arguably weakest there when you combine those two together you do kind of get to this idea of a personal assistant that's really intelligent and knows what you're doing and certainly should be perfectly possible to get there with a combination of having access to all your data, consuming that and sort of making intelligent guesses about what you're going to do, particularly if it's keeping track of you for a while and can understand what you've done before, together with that kind of natural language, conversational style of interacting with someone, which is actually, of course, very much like talking to a person. You know, it's a very powerful combination um, and it's kind of moves away from the look down, tapping away at your screen all the time. So again, it's one of these exciting technology, exciting areas to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, one other thing I didn't tackle was uh, accents. And of course, I can't I can't do accents to say, <laughs> save my life. But uh, of course, someone with a broad Geordie or Scots accent or something will sound, I'm, I'm presuming all these things are taken care of at the server end, but you have to figure that some of these accents make it harder for Microsoft than someone who's at least trying to speak the Queen's English, like what I am. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and actually, it's the language sets as well. One of the reasons Cortana and indeed applies to the other assistants as well, don't suddenly become available universally is because they have to be trained to understand the language structure and the vocabulary of each market that they're going to launch into. Yeah. I've no doubt that part of that is also accent training. So I fondly imagine there's someone sitting in a lab somewhere in Rivington going, oh, we need to get a Geordie in here to kind of get Cortana <laughs> UK out of beta. And then it's yeah. going to be on to 
whichever accent comes next, uh, I guess there's going to be a lot of countries where they'll they'll need to look at that and and, and yeah. tune it. And of course, um, actually, they do collect data as they go along and improve it that way as well. Uh, but it's a much more complicated process than I think people might might first think. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there was another topic I wanted to come on the podcast, but we're out of time, Rafe. So what I'm going to suggest is that we reconvene this in a week's time and that we, then we talk about uh, the Microsoft Band in particular as one of our discussion points. I did a feature of the top 10 Band applications. Obviously, it's early days of the Band. And of course, Band does have that Cortana tie-in. But uh, maybe we can cover all this next week and get your feedback on the top 10 and also talk about the future of Microsoft's wearables and how it ties in with Windows Phone and other platforms. But in the meantime, I'll say goodbye and I'll leave Rafe to sign off his end. Thank you, Steve. Yes, well, I managed to waffle away for a podcast that wasn't going to happen. I should do a lot of talking, but hopefully we've uh, given you some food for thought and we'll be back next week, as Steve says, to talk a little bit about BAD and no doubt cover some new apps and other bits and pieces that are coming out in the Windows phone, or I guess I should say the Windows mobile world. No, Windows 10 mobile. <laughs> uh, Windows 10 mobile. I'll get there eventually. Uh, okay, well, that's goodbye for me. And as ever, thanks for listening.